This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, I, I sat on a prickly pear this year. Woo! Drop trout in the middle of the desert. We had some really cool opportunities to watch, you know, rut bucks just running does all over the hillsides, just chasing them like, you know, like a hound dog on a scent. So killing one's not really my goal. It's spotting and stalking one and getting a shot. I guarantee a high-end baseball card collector or coin collector spends just as much with their hobby as we do with our lifestyle. When you feel like you're looking a mile away, but then you range it and you're like, well, that's only 700 yards. That's not very far. You know, I don't get tired of sitting behind the glass because I know I'm going to find one. And then the whole excitement's going to start. This is Corey Ford. This is Shannon Mobs. And you're listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Welcome to another episode of Living Country in the City. Uh, Before we go any further, I definitely want to say a huge thank you to Sawyer Products for their continual support of the podcast. Last year, we were talking, and you guys are a Big fan of those uh, Sawyer mini filters. Yeah, right. uh, loved, uh, loved that story. They sorting through giant mud holes and oh, man. Yeah. going strong. Yeah, that like, was shortly after the uh, Alaska, Alaska experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I use a side pack of Sawyer mini with me in my yeah. pack in my um, just in case bag yeah. every day of the hunting season, regardless of where I'm hunting. If I'm in Arizona, Alaska, Oregon, or Washington, it doesn't matter. I've got one with me. Well, the way they have them set up is is really versatile i mean there it's just it's a teeny little filter it's yep. super light you can screw it onto a water bottle you can screw it onto their squeeze bags you can use it with their gravity filtration system they yep. have it they use it for every setup they have and it's i mean it comes in really handy you can use it as like a life straw if you need to yep. and i mean i noticed the nice thing is like with some filters i've probably talked about this way too much you know you get get that one filter that you set up and it just it takes forever you can't get any flow through it these things, the gravity filtration system handled a, what a gallon of water in under five minutes for me. Like wow. I was, I was stoked on it. But yeah, they were good. Big thank you to Sawyer. Check them out, Sawyer.com. 
Well, guys, we are back. It's yeah. our it's our one year anniversary. Yeah. Um, we had an awesome talk about Roosevelt uh, last year. Here I ran into you guys. I can't remember who introduced us. We were at the Elk Addicts booth. Yeah. Um, well, no, we were, were we were at the BHA uh, oh, pint oh, night. that time, yeah. And you guys were playing pool, yep. and I was talking to someone that was very, very drunk at the bar. <laughs> and I mentioned that I had, you know, just shooting the <laughs> mentioned offhand that I had a podcast. He's like, I don't know who you got interview. And he, like, drug me over to the pool table, interrupted your guys' game, and was like, here, you got to meet these guys. That's right. And it all worked out. Right. <laughs> yep. Had a had a great chat last year, and then um, uh, you reached out while I was on my road trip, and you're like, you were like a, a half a day behind me on my road trip, basically yeah. going up into. Uh, you were yeah. coming out of Northern California, or I don't remember exactly where I was at, but I wasn't in the area, so I just remember I messaged you and said, "Hey, yeah. you know, I was because I was following through your story and your your timeline sequence on Instagram, and saw that you were heading up that way, and just said, you know, if you're going to be traveling through, because you stopped somewhere else in Oregon too. Yeah, and, I, was, uh, I was coming up from I went to Bend, then I went into yep. Eugene. Yeah, and I was coming up from Eugene. I stopped by the Spot Hog. Uh, I forget where they're based, but. Yeah. I think it was it's just outside of Eugene, yeah. Yeah, I was just north of there. Harrisburg or something. Yeah, Honestly, did it start with a W? Is there a city with the starts with a W? Mm, I don't know. There might be, but you were, I think you were heading like towards the Seattle area. Yeah. So I knew you'd be passing through the southwest Washington location, you know, and so I just say, hey, you got to, yep. if you're going through there, do yourself a favor. And actually, you didn't even have a place to stay. You were asking if you could, you know, maybe possibly. We were talking about crash that. on a yeah. couch, and I said, well, yeah. if I was home, absolutely. But then I said, what you want to do, though, is you need to stop off at Shannon's and look at his trophy room. Yeah. And I yeah. uh, was glad to hear that you did. Well, I think you ended up offering – one of you offered me like a – there's like a – I tell you, you can stay in my camper. A camper. Yeah. And I was like – I was planning on going up to uh, Mount St. Helens. That's right. Because it was one of those places ever since I was a little kid – for some reason, that was, you know, you learn about it in elementary school, and that I always thought it was so cool, and it always stuck with me, the, the story of Mount St. Helens, and I'm like, I finally get to see it. Like, yeah. I get to go up and see it. And so I was like, well, I think I'm going to go up and find just a spot, like a little campsite or something, up closer there. And I wish I would taken you up, because that was the most miserable time finding that yeah. little place that I ended up camping. And, uh, and if the weather's not good, it really the sucks. I saw, I got to see about five feet in front right, of me. Right, right. It was, because I mean, that time of year, you yeah, know, it was, it was what, cover, yeah. it was late spring, kind of, it was, it was just thickest fog. I mean, it's as quintessential yeah, Pacific Northwest yeah. weather as, as you can get. Yeah. And man, I was like, I walked up and I did a story and it just looked like white wall behind yeah. me. I'm like, awesome guys, I finally got to see Mount St. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not quite. <laughs> not quite. It's there somewhere. But yeah. I got some really awesome uh, pictures uh, of the fog on the drive back, like cool, lonely, yeah. and, like foggy road pictures, which were very yeah. dramatic and probably not worth the drive up there because I could have gotten them anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but it's beautiful in its own way, but it's not really worth the effort. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got a lot of podcast listening done that day. It worked. But yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, we were also chatting uh, middle of January. Uh, we both happened to be down in... Uh, Arizona at the same time, albeit on about as far opposite sides of the state as you can get. Yep. You guys were down doing what, a little coos in uh, javelina hunting, and I was chasing uh, muleys and javelina with my buddies up north. And uh, So how'd that, uh, 
How'd that week go for you guys? Or a week? Or how long were you there? Uh, yeah, we were there for, we hunted for seven days. Seven days. Yeah. It was a fun hunt. I mean, that, that time of the year to get out of the fog and rain of the Pacific Northwest and the winter is yeah. just kind of a nice opportunity to get down and get a reprieve and, you know, get some hunting in the sunshine, which is kind of nice, you know, work on your burn. Yep. Because that's about what you get when you're there for seven days. <laughs> Getting sunburned in uh, January is pretty special for a guy <laughs> yeah. from, from, you know, yeah. Portland area. Well, you guys, because you guys were a lot further south. You guys were yeah. chasing the coos deer, so you were you were down more towards the border and yeah. It was it was more like the Pacific Northwest up where I was at because it it that's like high desert area, and so it was just it was rainy and foggy like it everything was freezing over um, like we'd be driving through puddles and every morning they'd refreeze and uh, my car my truck would be iced over every morning so slightly different uh, yeah. different weather in the location yeah we got freezing temperatures too at night a couple nights but you know during the daytime most of the days it would be at least into the sixties. It's just a drier climate yeah. too, so yeah. it's nice to get out of that. Is yeah. that uh, have you guys have you guys done that hunt before? Yeah, it's the second season in a row yeah. that we've done that. Nice. Yeah, it's a fun hunt. I mean, it's That's... just if nothing else, I mean, just getting just being there and hunting that time of the year, uh, spending time in that weather, seeing a lot of animals, you know, having multiple opportunities to potentially put stocks on coos deer is yeah. Is and a that's very one thing archery hunting, uh, archery hunting's done for me is it's allowed me to go places and hike around and experience the sights, sounds, and smells of a foreign place. You know, yeah. So it's um in all those hunts we do, be it Alaska or Arizona or even Wyoming, they're, they're all they're all special. And if you didn't, if if you weren't hunting, I doubt you would experience it at the level that we get to experience it. So, you know, and in, in Arizona particularly, there's, it's just a fascinating place. You know, everything wants to poke you and bite you, and you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, pardon the language. I think uh, the saying my buddies always said, uh, "What is it? Everything in Arizona wants to f- you, fight you, or bite you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I believe much. it. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I believe it. Well, yeah, yeah. that's always and. I, I think it takes me about a year before I get between trips to Texas and Arizona. It takes me about a year before I'm able to get all of the uh, oh, the cactus out of my uh, out of my camo mm-hmm. pants. Yeah, yeah. I, I sat on a prickly pear this year. Oh, um, we were cleaning our deer that we were uh, lucky enough to get, and uh, I didn't pay attention. Man, it hurt. Woo! Drop trowel in the middle of the desert. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, I had to spot for him. Make sure he was getting all the little <laughs> little pieces out. You know. Oh man, all right, fun. I'm going to need you to grab my ass right now. <laughs> Get yeah. real close in yeah, there, like yeah. team. It was it, The good thing was mm. it was right below the boxer line, right at the, right at the oh, bottom man. of the bottom of the butt cheek and just above on the thigh, and so it wasn't too bad. You know? At least I, that's what we're telling people. Yes. Yeah. Highly recommend not doing yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm still digging a piece out of my finger that I got when we were getting our deer that – those prickly pears are, are rough because you can't even see half of those. Mm-mm. Right, so it's the little fine ones at the bottom of those big needles mm-hmm. that get you. Well, that's what you look at them, and it's like, you know, if you haven't experienced them, you think like, oh, the big needles, I got I to gotta watch out for those. Without even realizing it, you know, you end up with like the whole ring of those super right. fine ones. And like when I was in Texas, uh, we were dealing with those, and, you know, we'd be tracking blood, and we'd be kind of half the time on hands and knees like looking at for that one drop that'll take you to the next right. big splash. And especially, you know, you get them in your legs. If you got any sort of leg hair, you're screwed. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, you're ripping out chunks out. before yes. you get those out yep. unless you got tweezers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult difficult place to hunt. That's for sure. Just oh, yeah. because of that, I mean, you got you got a lot more to think about. 
So, so a little bit different hunting than uh, Rosie's up in right. the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Slightly different environment, slightly different uh, style of hunting. Yeah. You don't do uh, you don't do a ton of uh, long distance glassing up in those not, that not thick for timber. Roses, do you? Yeah, no. no. So, yeah, glass is essential for uh, coos deer. And if you don't have a quality glass, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. So, yeah. if I had one, you know, advice for somebody going to go down and do that, it's invest. Yeah. In good quality glass, we were using all Vortex equipment, and probably can't get a better product for what we were doing. We had the variety, fifteen or ten power binoculars, and then you go to your fifteens, and you go to your sixty power scope to confirm and figure yeah. out what you're going to do here. Well, I feel like when you're, especially for coos, you know, muleys, you get a nice white butt sometimes, and, yeah. you know, they're they're pretty decent size. You can see them a little bit better. Those coos deer, they're just, they're invisible, and they're teeny. Yeah, yeah. until and, they move, and then you might hopefully see them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But when they're just standing there, I mean, you can, you can glass a buck, and you can have eyes on him, and you'll go, you'll look away and try to find something else and to come back onto that buck. It might take you a while to find him, or you might never find him again, and he could be in the exact same spot. Yeah. And then eventually he might stand up and spin, change laying position and lay back down, and not, until he moves, you don't find him. And then, boom, now you're back on him. You know, that's why I like having a good, good set of glasses. It's, I mean, it's the, the thing you need down there, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those 15s, too, are just are critical. Like, I, I remember the first time I ever went out to Arizona, like, I didn't, I didn't really know. You know, I mean, I had my 10s that I bought for elk hunting, and, you know, I was sitting there, I'm like, I can't see crap. Yeah. I've got a pair of 12s right now that I'm using, and, and even those, you know, they're great, and they're good for closer faces and stuff like that, but using my, using my buddy's 15s are just... Yeah, yeah you're looking under and in that brush. Mm-hmm. versus in the openings yeah. um, and that's and I, where those little deer are man it's they're like a rabbit i mean yeah i prefer the 18s myself just because i want a little bit more separation between my 10 or 12s you know so i get that much more magnification i mean th- mm-hmm. three power more doesn't sound like a lot but it can be um you know and then that way you don't have to break out the, the spotter until yeah. you get way out there um or until you really want to get zoomed in and see what that buck is that you do find which we found, you know, we ran one big, I um, see yours was an 80 millimeter. Yeah, 80. Or 85. Five. And I was running a 60, so we had two different powered spotters too. And, um, you know, we could really dial it in on either one to really get a good look at those deer as we were hunting them, you know, to determine. I mean, yeah. granted, after like day one, you realize any buck's going to be worth going after because to try to spot and stalk and kill a coos deer with a bow is really, really tough. That's um, definitely so you, like one of the achievements higher achievements as yes. far as like skill wise yeah yeah so it's right up there with antelope spotting and stalking antelope so you don't want to sell, sell oh, yourself yeah. short and say i'm only looking for a certain class deer you know but you still want to know what it is before you really you know make the determination of how hard you want to try to kill that that deer so oh yeah we always you know, set a phone scope up on one and shannon could run video on his iphone through the yeah. phone scope and you know we had it pretty well dialed in once we got a, a deer located we could figure out pretty quick what it is um, yeah you know, which just, it makes it fun, too, the enjoyment of just seeing them. Because we go the whole season during Roosevelt season not seeing a lot of elk, you know. I mean, it's just the the vegetation, the terrain, and everything doesn't allow for it. You know, the way that we hunt them doesn't allow for it. So it's kind of nice to get down there and have the ability to look at a bunch of animals and, you know, really watch them interact, too. We had some really cool uh, opportunities to watch, you know, rutting bucks just running does all over the hillsides, just chasing them like 
you know, like mm. a hound dog on a on a scent. You know, I mean, it was it was really Doing really scrapes. Neat. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, we hit the rut solid. Probably couldn't have done it better. Yeah, we just got fortunate. That's the nice thing is like next year. I think I want to focus on the coos deer um, in January. I want to yeah. go down and uh, you know I did javelina this year. I wanted to do it once. Drew my javelina tag, hunted it, got it. I'm good. I yeah. really don't like. I mean, they're cool animals, and they, the stuff I put together with them tastes great. But I just not that interested in hunting them. Like maybe if I'm out and there's leftover tags, yeah, I'll grab them. But I'm like, okay, I'm good. So this next year, I want to I want to focus on coos deer. Yeah. And the nice thing about January is the rut starts so much later down there because it's warmer. You know, I can do. This year I can do my December. If I don't get it this August, I can do my December muley uh, up further north where they're, yep. they're going to be rutting nice and hard. And then just a few weeks later, yeah. drive hunt. Coos, coos, yeah. Yeah. Drive right back down uh, a little bit further south for coos. Have a good time. Yeah, wait till you kill one of those because once you eat one, you'll focus on coos every year. Yeah, I've heard. Amazing. Well, I mean, they're basically whitetail. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I mean, technically, they're, they're a, a subspecies of whitetail, right? Yeah. Like a yeah. desert whitetail. Yeah, they yeah. are a whitetail. I mean, But I never know. hear anybody rave about the taste of whitetail. Like, you never hear people back east going, oh, my God, I love whitetail. Well, I you think they're probably just used deer? to it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we grew up hunting blacktail and killing right. blacktail and eating yeah. that stuff. And blacktail can be a very gamey meat, you know, especially if you're hunting them as they start getting towards the rut or depending on what their vegetation feed and stuff is. Yeah. That coo- those coos deer were unreal. You know, I got a message from him saying, hey, have you eaten any of your coos deer yet? And I said, no, I haven't. He was like, I was never that interested in eating deer. Yeah. This thing is delicious. <laughs> and so then I ended up, you know, cooking some up, and I was blown away. Just the, the texture of it, the tenderness mm-hmm. of it, the flavor is just Yeah, if you eat a lot of elk and then you go eat a blacktail, it's not that, you know, it's palatable. Yeah. But that coos deer is, uh, it really has no distinct flavor, I'd say. So however you cook it is going to be good. Yeah, that's awesome. It's exceptional. Yeah. I had a, I got, you know, I, I tagged my first deer this uh, last year in August. I got a little velvet muley spike and, you know, stupid proud of him. Like, biggest trophy in the world. I could I could shoot the, you know, the biggest 5, 10, 100 million point buck because uh, those exist. Um, <laughs> and I could not be more proud of that little velvet yeah. spike that I took. And the other nice thing is he's not a big old tough ruddy buck. Right. He only ran about 50 yards before he dropped. Like, we got him gutted. Literally, it was just before uh, just before we were losing shooting light that I took him. And so it was nice and cool out. We got him gutted and, and processed literally the next day. And so, I mean, he was the, he's the tastiest dang deer. And just for my birthday the other week, we cooked up the backstraps. And this is my first time ever having backstrap. And it's all a good deer that I shot myself. Yeah. We did it. I uh, grabbed a recipe from... Uh, from field to plate from Jeremiah Dowdy and did it in the sous vide. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was it's good. I would not say it's a stretch to say that's the best meal I've ever yeah. had. No, I believe it. I've never tried backstrap before, and now I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get it. So I usually cook my meat very simple. I might roll in a little bit of flour, a little bit of olive oil, and fry it. And yep. I cut it real thin. Wild game doesn't have fat, so yeah. you just got to get it cooked, get it cooked quick. And, uh, and, and that's that's how I prefer to eat all wild wild yeah. game. A little bit of flour, not a ton of seasoning. I want to taste the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, and the one I cooked la last week was we had the Portland show last weekend, and the guys from Mexico Mountain Gear were staying at my house. And so on Saturday night up there, we did a little barbecue there, and I cooked up a bunch of the coos deer that I had shot and then some elk burgers, and I just cooked them on my Green Mountain Grill, and I didn't put anything on the coos, yep. nothing. I just cooked it as it was, just with a little bit of the smoke flavor from the grill itself, and then served it just like that. If most guys didn't even, you know, a lot of guys will put a barbecue sauce, ketchup, whatever. Yeah. They were just grabbing it and eating with their fingers just as if it were a piece of jerky or something, you know, and it was that good. I mean, it's that tender. You could cut it with a fork, too, oh, which yeah. is great. Yeah, that's amazing. So, that's awesome. That's I mean, honestly, that's why what, what I loved about the sous vide is we pulled that out. We You almost couldn't even slice the back straps. It was, it was like falling apart like a roast. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it actually reminded me a lot of, like, a super tender, the texture, like a super tender roast with, yeah. with how that yeah. was. And Oh, man. I... My folks, uh, you know, I've been, like, I'll pull out, like, I made a, a venison barley stew the other day, and we did tacos with some of the grind, and um, my folks are like, so, when are you, when are you going deer hunting next? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, oh, crap. I've, I've got them hooked. Yeah. It's but, healthy meat, too. Oh, yeah. But then I came to them, I'm like, well, so let's discuss tag prices. Right. Because I could go hunting a lo whole lot more if, say, I had someone going in here going in 50 50 with me on right. tags here yeah. yeah. i'm like shoot you know i'll i'll go elk hunting i'll uh i'll split half of that elk meat easy right yeah. 300 yeah, pounds of meat yeah you, you know it's, it's probably not any more affordable than beef or something but the yeah. quality of meat you're getting is far superior to any any cow well and the satisfaction of eating that meal yeah it's like that like i always knew it would be there yeah. And it wasn't until recently, like, you know, I, I've eaten the, the meat from my deer a lot, and uh, and I've enjoyed it. And it's, like, it's super satisfying, and I'm super proud of it, and I end up eating way more than I normally would. But it wasn't until uh, I actually cooked up the two hind qu uh, rear quarters of my javelina. Um, I just, you know, I quartered them out, I cleaned them, I, I got off as much of the silver skin as I could, and I just I threw them in a crock pot. And another Jeremiah Dowdy recipe, uh, I, I used his barbacoa recipe. And, I mean, he, he made that for bobcat and coyote. So suffice to say, you can put anything in there, right. and it will be fantastic. And invited, like, the whole family up. You know, my sister and brother-in-law and my nephews and everyone. And, you know, we had, like, made, like, burrito bowls and stuff out of this barbacoa, and everyone was just sitting around laughing and just enjoying the meal together. I kind of had this moment where I looked at that, and I'm like, this is the most satisfying feeling in the world, like, Sharing it, it's the whole sharing aspect of sharing that game meat. Yeah. Um, it's, it's primitive. Yeah. You're bringing it back to the cave. <laughs> right? Everyone's, everyone's yeah. in that cave together, and you go out, yeah. and you, know, you take that meat, and everyone you go, shares you it go together. Pick and a bowl full of berries, and I'll go get me a javelina. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, it have is this, very like, rewarding. It very is. Rewarding. And we've, we've kind of developed this little bit of an unspoken rule with we don't really talk about thinking that like what the cost per pound of the meat of the animal we just killed is on our yeah. trips and stuff like that because it doesn't really matter it's not about that but it's not know? i mean if you go out for a week you harvest an elk it's not much more than a side of beef right it's, yep yeah and yeah. it's so much more rewarding and, and healthy you know yeah so, well yeah. i mean and if you start getting in getting too in depth into that like okay what do you consider as part of that price obviously right. yeah the tags i mean probably Tag maybe the gas fuel. to get out and yeah. you know you're 
your food that you eat along the well, you know, food, you can't pack your food in because you're going to eat anyways. Food in a trip like that, people are always like, well, it's going to cost you more. Well, no, it doesn't cost you anything more because if you're sitting at home, you're still eating. Yeah. So you you take food and beverage out unless you do something really special while you're on the trip that you wouldn't do at home. That's a different yeah. story. But you know, to have you know food as an added cost, it shouldn't be in there. Yeah. You know, so. But it's like, do you do you start figuring in like, okay, I have to amortize the cost of my bow across these three months. Right. <laughs> like, it, you know, you can you can get kind of ridiculous with those calculations, but well, you're gonna have you know, hobbies anyway. Hobbies cost you money. And, oh, exactly. Yeah. And this is a very healthy hobby to have. You know, yeah. you're physically active. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing places you wouldn't normally see, so. That's well worth the expense. I guarantee a high-end baseball card collector or coin collector spends just as much with their hobby as we do with our lifestyle. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing, too, is I don't – anybody who ever says, like, oh, well, your hobbies. I don't have hobbies. Hobbies are things that people do on occasion just, you know, to pass time. This is – if you're doing something or thinking about it 365 days a year, it's a lifestyle. It's part of who you are. Oh, yeah. You know, and so if we're constantly – thinking and talking about that then that lifestyle cost is really pretty small compared to what a lot of other people's actual hobbies are mm-hmm. you know when you start to amateurize the whole the whole thing you know and, <laughs> i mean i go to alaska and fish every summer for a week you know i mean i could fish all year if i wanted to in the northwest but i like to go up there for a week it costs me a little bit of money but i catch a bunch of sockeye and halibut and i bring it home you know and it, to me it's like yeah it might cost more to do that than to go buy it in the store but there's there's a massive Mon- mon- you know, non-monetary value when we're mm-hmm. sitting having a barbecue with some friends and my you know significant other sitting there telling everybody like oh yeah Corey shot this with his bow you know last month or Corey caught this fish in alaska last summer you know that in itself right there when when everybody else is like they don't have the story of like you wouldn't believe the stock i put on that salmon walking down the grocery store aisle <laughs> you know it took me two hours to you know it's like they, those Side things note. aren't there I think I see a short YouTube video series from that that, <laughs> could that be. might need to happen. Yeah, very much could soon. be. Yeah, <laughs> very much could be. The uh, the urban hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The supermarket assassin strikes see, again. What you need to do? Playing the wind in the grocery store is a little right. difficult uh, because <laughs> when the air conditioner kicks on in this aisle, it'll uh, completely switch on you. First thing you want to do is check the aisle to see if you got vents above you or if they're next aisle over. You're going to have to scout the week before uh, just to know which days and which times that air conditioner comes on and the wind switches. I really advise you to get some really fine, you know, baking soda from the, uh, from the, from aisle six (laughs) to check the wind with, you know, you can do it. You could definitely do it. Somebody, I I do not have time to make that. Somebody listening, please do that. Push your way through the fruits and vegetables section where the, the, you know, the foliage starts to get a little thick, you know. Oh, oh, we yeah. got some weather coming in when yeah. you hear the, 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 <laughs> the lightning noise on. and the mister kicks on. <laughs> I yeah, used, we're going to wait out the rainstorm. <laughs> weirdly enough, when I was really little, that used to freak me the hell out. Yeah. That used to scare the crap out of me. When the, the thunder, lightning, yeah. it just it made me so nervous. I hated doing that. Yeah, well, I didn't get it. I'm, when I was young, I was like, they're watering dead plants. And I'm not really <laughs> sure what the purpose is that until you kind of grow old enough to realize keep moisture on them you know yeah they don't just dry up the, the second that they're cut you know or picked <laughs> but yeah it's pretty funny that would actually be a pretty pretty funny video to do you know maybe get a nerf bow or a nerf gun or something to oh that would be great know. yeah um so what are uh, what are some of the other differences obviously glass plays a huge role i mean like and glassing is not a skill of mine i've, I've discussed this a couple of times like i just 
I struggle with like there's there's obviously something something very focusing and peaceful and calming about it that I enjoy, but also on those days where I'm not seeing just not seeing anything, it's like I struggle so hard with the patience and the mental focus to where if I'm not seeing anything for you know I'm sitting there for half an hour 45 minutes and I just haven't seen anything I, I, I keep I'm glassing but then I all of a sudden I realize like I look past this whole this whole section of this hillside or this whole grid you know portion I haven't actually seen anything like I've just glazed over my mind somewhere else I could have gone past the biggest you know four by four in the world and he could have been standing there with a the sunlight on him I wouldn't have seen him so glassing is not a skill of mine, something I'm trying to develop, but it's tough. But what are some of the other uh, other main big differences you guys see, obviously, between hunting thick timber for Roosevelt elk versus hunting wide-open junipers and scrub for coos or muleys and uh, javelina? Yeah, so, you know, how we hunt them on the, on the coast for Roosevelt is, you know, we're real vocal, and you're not going to do that kind of stuff with the coos. So you need to find them from a distance. Um, you're in their home, so you know they're there somewhere. So the challenge of figuring out where they are at whatever time of day you're glassing is in itself its own challenge. And then being able to pick the terrain apart and find an animal on that hillside that you've been glassing all morning. Um, it, it's in itself is a challenge just to locate them. And then once you do find one, then work in a plan trying to get a stock on him. Um, and it's so unique to what we do, or, or it's so different. different from what we normally yeah. do that it's just, it, you know, I don't get tired of sitting behind a glass because I know I'm going to find one, mm-hmm. and then the whole excitement's going to start. So, um, And a lot of times, too, it's... Um, you know, especially in Arizona where there's really not a lot of things that you can put perspective to size-wise. You know, if we're in, in the Pacific Northwest and you have an idea of like, oh, that looks like, you know, it's a 30- or 40-year-old tree, you pretty much know about the size it is. Down there, you're looking at an ocotillo or a barrel cactus or, you know, a choya cactus or something, and you're trying to figure out exactly how big that thing is and how big in perspective that deer should be at a distance that feels, I mean, you feel like you're looking a mile away, but then you Mm -hmm. range it and you're like, well, that's only 700 yards. That's not very far. You know, once you find that first deer on a hillside, everything else seems to become easier. Now you know, okay, I'm just looking. I'm looking way too broad. I really need to focus it down. And you'll scan a hillside. And then you'll come back and scan that same path again, you know, and you just kind of work your way around the hill until you finally find them. And it, it becomes almost like a chess game uh, yeah. with your eyes, you know, and that's where it goes. kind of goes back into to having good glass because the last thing you want to do is fight eye fatigue. You know, if you don't like looking through a spotter with one eye closed, get an eye patch or figure out really good high-powered, you know, binos mm-hmm. and take your time really analyzing that entire hillside. Because, I mean, they might be bedded. When we found deer last year, it was random. I mean, they'd be up in the middle part of the day running around. You'd find them first thing in the morning bedded. It was just yeah. – so you need to be able to say, okay, well, what are, where are they right now? And then once you lock in on one, that first one, yeah, then you can really start to, you know, either look into are they are they bedded down in behind some, some junipers or something, you know, where you're having a real hard time seeing them. You know, or are they just standing up with their head down feeding, but until they lift their head up, you have no idea they're there because you – Mm-hmm. You know, they're not like a lot of other deer, like a mule deer. Like you were saying, you could see a white ass 
is really easy to pick out, especially yeah. down there. I've also discovered from watching them for the last two seasons that they, they don't bed down for too long no. before they stand up, um, turn around, lay back down. So knowing that, that eventually one's going to stand up, keeps me scanning. Yeah. yeah. So did you miss him the, the first anticipation time? Of, yeah. of one standing up and you seeing him finally, even yeah. though you've been looking at the same hillside for two hours. Yeah. That he moved just enough for you to get, or the sun moved, mm-hmm. and the shadows have changed, and now he's exposed. Yeah. So and you probably get up and move around too if you were laying on all that cactus for right. twenty yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Crazy. Well, you know, it's like that was such a weird skill I didn't expect to have to develop was like calibrating your eyes right. when you're glassing, and yeah. it's you don't understand it until the first couple of times you have to do it, and. Um, I mean, that's where, I mean, seeing anything helps with that, whether it's, you know, a bird that you generally know the size of, you know, if it's a songbird, you're like, oh, okay, I get it, or a, a jackrabbit. Like, I've seen that has helped me so many times where I'll see a jackrabbit, and it'll look huge to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I've been, I've been like, looking for way too small, right. and I kind of broaden it Look up. Look at micro and, instead of macro. You need yeah. to, like, change that perspective yeah. for sure. Or, or vice versa, where you're like, What's that little mouse? That's a rabbit, not a mouse. (laughs) I I err on the other side where I'm looking for something larger. Yeah. These coos deer are tiny animals. Little. So, you know, we're looking at elk most of the time, which stand out. You don't need just a little bit. Right. So so (laughs) now now I gotta recalibrate my eyes to see a coos deer, a solid gray animal. And it just blends in with everything. And he's no bigger than a jackrabbit. (laughs) Can we go from hunting? You know, elk to then we hunt mule deer, which, you know, in the areas that we hunt mule deer, it's very open. Not all that much different in terms of what you can see than what we're hunting in, in Arizona, but finding them is way easier, you know. <laughs> and then then move to Arizona and hunt those coos, which blend in so well with the with the terrain, the vegetation. It's just, it, it's a totally different glassing scenario there. You know, and it really does test your eyes a lot, yeah. you know, and your patience more than anything. Because you can sit there and scan over a hillside and be like, no, nope, no deer, let's move on. That's not the way that it works out, right. you know. You have yeah. to sit there for a long, long time because it might take just a movement. That deer stand up, spin around, lay back down, and then you, it, hopefully you're looking in that spot. And then yeah. from there, okay, now now we're locked in. Well, that's why it's nice to have multiple guys, too, with different yeah. powered glass because – you know, you may have the guy with the, the 12s or whatever that is, gets a bit broader of a view, is more scan, doing some more scanning. Well, you know, someone with the sco- spotting scope or the 18s is really picking under the bushes looking for the details. Because mm-hmm. that guy in the 12s may get that movement just out of the corner of his eye and he can send one of you guys yeah. to yeah. Lock in on to it. really pick that, right. that spot. And we um, found that last year we went down there with uh, John Stallone and, and his friend um, who helps him guide and stuff in there in the – Arizona area and we hunted with those guys and Jake and John were really good glassing with a spotter you know we were running glass but we were under glassed and so it was a kind of an eye-opener in terms of what we were missing out on you know and I was running 20 powered and I think you only had your 10s at tens, that time yeah. and you just come to find out that you need a much more significant glass and so going back in it yeah. this year you know we we talked with the um, Mark Boardman from from Vortex and he gave us some stuff to test out while we were down there, and we was just blown away. For one, I mean, the quality of glass for the cost is exceptional. Yeah. Um, and then just how much more you see when you're running, you know, these multiple stages of glass. It really yeah. kind of is a, like a three-part 
process in terms of seeing them, you know, depending on where you're, where you're at, you know, that low, middle, and high-end uh, optic uh, magnification. And we saw far more deer, like we found far more deer this year just on our own than we did the previous year, yeah. um, just purely because of that, you know. And it's, so that made it, made it another level of fun, too, because now you're getting, you're starting to, starting to get really good at finding little yeah. things, you know. And growing up hunting blacktail and the vegetation that we hunt in, I mean, you were, you'd be glassing into a little stand of timber or you're looking into, like, you're looking through brush, through through stuff, you know, and, and you get really good at, like, spotting an ear or at a nose. <laughs> yeah, at 100 yards, you know, yeah. and or a tail. You see a tail flicker or, you know, that's a funny-looking tree branch. Well, it's not a branch. It's an antler, you know, and so I've always prided myself on being able to spot those things. I mean, I've had some stuff where I've spotted blacktail that I've shot in the past where I wish somebody saw what I was seeing because they'd be blown away that I even saw that deer standing yeah. there. You know, and then you end up killing them. And so when you get down there and you get kind of humbled because, you know, you're you're struggling to find deer in a in a new area and these that other guys... It seems wide open. It does. It oh, seems yeah. like it should be a piece of cake. Yeah. Well, that land, too, even if it looks flat, it it hides. Oh, yes. Something about how the, the bushes and the junipers and all that stuff yeah. just lays on that yes. land. It hides. Like, you, you swear, this is like 100 yards flat straight across. Yeah. Turns out it's just a mile, like... It's walking rolling. actual walking yeah. distance it's like a mile of rolling yeah. like yeah. weird things and those cuts especially with javelina too and the yeah. and those coos deer you'll see something kind of just you think they're walking straight they disappear yeah. out of nowhere they, they use those and you cuts. never see them yeah. right i was surprised to to realize that they hit those cuts and go up and down them mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah. understanding that you know, coming from where we come from, it's a learning experience for us. And, oh, yeah. and it, I don't claim to be an expert at it right now. I'm still learning. Um, of course, I'm still learning elk. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know. So, you know, you, realizing that these things will use those um, avenues to escape is, uh, is an eye-opener for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we found them. You know, we, we could kind of start to predict if we kept seeing deer in one area what their route out would be. You know, the deer yeah. would tend to drop into these specific drainages and work their way up and over the ridge into it, like across the saddle, you know, almost like clockwork every time they would move out. Or if they were moving from where they were feeding first thing in the morning to where they were going to go bed for the rest of the day, you almost knew the exact route. So that the day that we ended up killing our deer down there, we had, which was like our second to last day of hunting, yeah. I think, yeah. um, we actually put a guy, we put Joey Pyburn up on the ridge top in an area where we, we'd hunted that same area two days prior and we had seen all these deer continually move across the hillside and up and over that saddle. Mm-hmm. So we put a guy first thing right there and we almost had an opportunity where I was glassing up as Shannon and Scott Salmon, the other guy that were with us, were working a buck that Joey had spotted from up on the ridge top. I spotted a buck moving into Joey and, and working his way up to that saddle. And whether they heard Joey and I on the radio, we were we had radios. Whether they heard Joey talk, or that, whether that buck heard Joey talking, or somehow the, you know, he winded him or saw him, that deer ended up just squirting over the saddle, just just outside of his range, uh, you know. And it was almost a perfect scenario where we had the guy in the right spot to kill mm-hmm. him, um, you know. But he just didn't have a shot when that when that buck went up and over. And then right shortly after that is when I heard the two bucks that that we shot fighting working their way down the drainage next to me um you know just a really really rare and unique opportunity to have two bucks locked together 
Um, so then I snuck down. I don't know if you read the story on Instagram. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. But. So it was pretty impressive. You know, it was a once-in-a-lifetime scenario probably. It's not the way that we would have envisioned or even necessarily yeah. wanted the hunt to go down. If you're, you know, a spot and stock on a coos deer that was bedded is a much more – yeah, I still haven't successfully spot and yes. stalked the coos deer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this was by no means a spot and stock. It was presented with an opportunity, and you take it. Yeah. On what were two really nice coos deers, and it makes for a great story. But, I no, you know, I'm not yep. going to be like, I'm a coos expert. I don't need to go back next year. I got <laughs> right. it dialed in because no. I don't, you know. I just walked down and yeah. shot one at 18 yards that just happened to be locked up with another buck, and then Shannon shot the one that was still not dead, and, and that was – that was I'll, it. I'll have to link to that story on Instagram because it is yeah. a really interesting story, and it was a cool picture to go with it. Yep. And, uh, um, it's one of those ones where the fact that you you weren't able to get that spot and stock victory, but the story was cool enough to where it kind of makes up for it a little bit. Yeah. You're like, okay, I can spot and stock one next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, there's still uh, yeah, there's still business left unattended yes. down there. The day oh, before yeah. is actually what will keep us going back because yeah. Shannon was within about 30 yards of about 130, 140-inch coos yeah. buck that was bedded down in a spot where he was killable. Mm-hmm. And lack of communication buggered that hunt up, and we should have we should have had a, had a dead deer. And that one, he's a, just an absolute stud. You know, you know and I was 30 yards from him, and they're still hard to see. Yeah. I so, struggle with that, actually. Yeah, I yeah. Um, I finally moved two glasses from contacts because contacts really suck when you have to put them every mor- in every morning before hunting. Yeah. Um, and so that's helping a lot. But, like, I just struggle to pick out those details sometimes, and uh, especially when I'm putting a stock on something. Like, I'm, I'm still learning that that whole technique of okay like knowing right where they are and a a lot of the times i've blown stocks because i thought i was far enough down and it's just the angle was a little different from where it looked and it turns out this juniper he's bedded under is a little bit uh further up or like in a little bit different spot than i actually thought it was and i pop out too soon all of a sudden i see a bunch of doe noses straight (laughs) at me yeah and uh buck doesn't like or that. there you know you're spot you're, you're you're stalking a buck and in between there's three other deer oh yeah and so as yeah. soon as you bust one uh, they're all gone mm-hmm. so yeah. that's and a challenge and you're trying to you got your target animal and then you're trying to figure out if there's anything bedded down in between you and him it's a challenge and you don't see half of them you know joey was was stalking a certain buck and he wasn't five yards from a bush and there was a deer right in the middle of it mm-hmm. and it blew it out blew and blew out. the other deer out of the country yeah. so and know. he was within 100 yards of that buck he was and it that was... buck didn't have any idea he was there and that oh. smaller deer that was under that bush i mean we and we filmed we were watching and filming the whole thing yeah. and that deer blew out of there and it just took all the other deer in that area with it you know they just kept one by one filing out of there because they knew something was wrong and that buck that shannon was talking that I mean, it wasn't the buck that got him. It was, it was the, doe the doe that was with yeah. him, uh, you know. So, Well, the doe, I saw the doe, and I locked on her. And come to find out, reviewing the video later, is the buck was just off to her right, probably 10 yards. And I don't recall ever looking over there. Mm. So I don't know if I could have saw him or not. And it's so frustrating, man, because it all happens so fast, yeah. right? Yeah. You got... I got 10 seconds to identify the animal, draw back, take aim, and, and let an arrow loose. And uh, just didn't work out. And it's, yeah. it's what what keeps us going back. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. So what would you all think of the javelina trying to find the, uh, not the dark rocks that aren't moving, but the dark rocks that are moving? Well, we got a funny story about the yeah. javelina. <laughs> uh, 
this is a don't, don't trust your Walmart salesman story. Oh, no. The guy who sold us a javelina tag, um, knowing that we weren't going to even be able to hunt javelina where we were going. So he tried to tell us that there were tags available. So I said, hey, this is this. I was like blown away because we had heard that they were all sold out. Come to find out it was for the one urban unit that's just around the Tucson area. And that's well, it. It's a non-quota unit. Yeah. So, yeah, there's tags available. But just for this specific unit, the unit we were hunting, Kuzin, there was no tags available. Yeah. So. so they, uh, yeah, you got to enjoy it. And that guy should have known, should have yes. known better. Um, should have asked more questions about where we were going to be. Right. But, you know, I got, my, got my 100 bucks. Yeah. Arizona <laughs> Fish and Game will probably have to address that before too long. It's not the first yeah. time we heard that they've yeah. done that. In fact, just on this trip. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they, you know, get on a little more modern system which will show yeah. in a you know because i mean it's like give you know you're buying a fish stamp from them they're just it's a little booklet they don't have any idea they just hand write everything and hand it off you know so it's yeah well those uh what was it? i i think it was the the tag i had last year for my my over-the-counter uh deer tag they uh you know they like you said it's just it's a fully handwritten tag yeah. half of the time by the time you actually tag the animal you can barely read what's on it because right. it's all yeah you're off. getting a carbon copy anyway exactly you know? and then uh you know they just stamp out what the animal's for and they're just using like whatever uh hobby lobby yeah, stamp punch they have yeah. like one time it'll be a heart one time it'll be a star like right. and they almost stamped out the elk oh, wow <clears throat> uh the elk <laughs> section of my tag wow um, sorry, I've been going through puberty. My voice is getting a little, uh, getting a little hoarse. Uh, getting they almost excited about elk. They yeah. got a. It was almost fifty-fifty in the elk deer section. It was just slightly, but more in the deer section. I'm like, well, crap! I could have been hunting elk on yeah. this tag if he had been a little less careful. Right. <laughs> I mean, obviously, ethically, I would not do that. But and it, it it's also kind of frustrating for me that I can't that over the counter deer tag. I can't go online and buy that. Right. right. I would like to be able to just buy buy all my tags online at once and Yeah, you can buy your license being, down there but or yeah. online, but then you have to buy your tag once you're in the in state, person, which yeah. doesn't make any sense. Just shows you that they're still a ways behind for whatever reason on that yeah. stuff. So Well and it not all their tags are that way. Though. Oh yeah. Like I've gotten uh I've gotten other tags in the mail that uh, in the mail from them. Right. Uh, or actually no, I think what was my Havelina tag? Different states, maybe. My Havelina tag, I think, was a printed tag. Uh, the Havelina tag was because that was a draw. That was a draw Havelina tag, and they mailed it to me, and it was like a, a printed out. So piece. it wasn't a first come, first serve. No, that was a that was a draw tag. But yeah, the my deer tag and my lion tag. That's the one I was thinking of. Right. That was right. getting rubbed off. Because that's all over the counter. That's all. That's always a fun one to have your hands on. Uh, if you're out hunting because it's 75 bucks it's not right. all that much and you never know you never yeah. know when you're going to be glassing through a rocky area all of a sudden you yeah. see that you know you got a you got a rifle on hand i mean i don't get me wrong i'm not putting a, i'm not trying to put a spot in stock on oh, one i would yeah. in a heartbeat uh, no thanks yeah i will so last year in, in arizona in august <clears throat> we're we're going out to this spot we're taking the ranger out uh, we're we're going to go glass and we're not even, like, close to this point yet. We still, I think, have the music playing in the Ranger. Like, we're just cruising out to where we're going to go uh, uh, park to hike up in glass. And all of, a, we just, all of a sudden, right in front of us, this whole group of does comes blowing out. And so we stop, and we're like, any bucks, any bucks? And right as, right as we stop, this big old 3x3 uh, three three comes out, like velvet. 
like the most perfectly shaped tall wide three by three you've ever seen like you know you look look up a velvet mule deer in the encyclopedia and that's what you see and we're like they go run off about 250 yards uh the wind was terrible for us uh but we're like i have to put a stock on this deer there's just no way so i'm like i'm prepped to walk like you know a good 500 yards up up this slope and across and way back behind them and so we get all prepped. Um, I got them on the radios, and it, I get about 25 yards in and out of the corner of my eye. I see all these does blow out of where they're bedded. And I'm like, crap, there's no way that I, I spooked them. Like, they couldn't, they couldn't see me. The, the angles were all wrong, but I just saw them blow out. All of a sudden, I hear this noise. There's this screaming, and the does are screaming and barking, and the, there's this other noise that you can't quite pick out or recognize. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Is that a like a bear and all of a sudden they're like it's a damn lion and so i think i think i've told this story before but i come hauling back i and there's this half of me that's kind of like i wish i was further in on that deer when that lion attack because that would have been incredible to see up oh, close absolutely yeah. then the other half of me is like i'm glad i wasn't any closer right. <laughs> on that stock when the yeah. lion attack but it was just the it was once in a lifetime thing to see i mean because how often do people really see lions in general out when they're out hunting? It's Not a lot. Rare, it's rare. fairly rare. rare. Yeah. How how often do you, especially like a deer, you're putting a stock on? But yeah, it took one of those does. It drug it under, and it was. Uh, we went and found that doe later. My buddy has uh, the skull. They went back. Uh, did you a few have a lion later. tag? Singing? Did you have a lion tag? Uh, my other buddy did, and he oh, came man. hauling in with his yeah. rifle. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, wasn't able to connect because the lion, by the time he got there, the lion had kind of ended up pulling it back under under a bush. And there was just no, there's no, you could see the, it moving through the bush, but there's no clear shot. There's no real ethical way to take that shot. And, uh, uh, but it was, it was a blast. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, next year I'm buying a lion tag. And I yeah, always. Yeah, we get them every year. I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've seen several just elk hunting. I've been stalked by them. You know, cow calling or doing whatever they think you're oh, elk, yeah. so they come in on you. I've never been stalked after it realized what I was, mm-hmm. but that does happen quite frequently. Uh, try the lines in uh, in Southern California. Well, I think they've adapted to. Who was it? I think I was talking with, it may have been Christy Titus who said, like, the only time she's ever had an issue with a mountain lion, like, ever felt unsafe with, like, a mountain lion around was in California, yeah. and she had one, like, stalking her. I think it was Christy, um, but, yeah, it's just they know they have no predators there. They know they're, they're protected, invincible, yeah. and yeah. they're over. They're populated enough to where they're, they're struggling a little bit for food. All right. I mean, especially the ones down by, like, North Hollywood and all the hiking yeah. areas around e- there. Eating pets. Yeah. I've never in my life felt uncomfortable, like, hiking in the, like, in the morning, early morning, just with a headlamp you know, in an area, uh, except when I was going up to the Hollywood sign, I felt super uncomfortable and I'm sitting huh. there going, I'm like, why didn't I bring my bear spray? Cause of course I can't carry my pistol, but I'm like, I, I sat there the whole time. It was like a 45 minute hike up. And all I was saying to myself was, where's my bear spray? Why did I not bring it? What hmm. kind of idiot am I that I did not bring my bear spray in the mountain well, area? Evidently you can wrestle them and choke them to death. Yeah. I, uh, Apparently. Can you believe that? That guy is... Stud, yeah, man. I wow, yeah. that 
if I, that reminds me of a story somebody told me about that they knew a guy or knew a guy that knew a guy that I guess came uh, like something happened. It was on a trail and a mountain lion was going after this lady, and just instinctually he went and like fully like tackled the mountain lion and ended up squaring off. Like the mountain lion kind of went flying, turned around, and was ready to pounce on her again. And he like squared off with this mountain lion, and it ends up taking off. Huh. I'm like, there's just some people that there's like the level of badass I aspire to be, yeah. and then they're like six steps way above that. Right. Like, or their level of dumb <laughs> is way higher than yours too. <laughs> Whatever, so you're, oh no, I don't, one, you know, I don't, I don't quite claim that. I, yeah. I claim to have a high, pretty high level in that. But <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. I mean, you, you start trying to look a mountain lion in the, in the face, thinking that you might want to wrestle. We are well, not. Guess, we are not yeah. built for no. that. I mean, we're soft. I mean, I guess, though, when you're just going by pure adrenaline and instinct, you do what you need to do to survive. And if right. you, get, you get back around that mountain line, you got, your, you got your arms around its neck, you do not let go. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's probably not going to work out very often for yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. as, a, as a public safety announcement, general rule, do not wrestle try, mountain lions. Right. Don't, Don't try animals. to do that. Do, do not make an effort to do that. Right. Yeah. I could see it working more on a on a wolf, you know, or a coyote because they don't have claws like a cat. Those cats, yeah, they're not man, as they like just, as dexterous, yeah. I guess. I mean, Those cats can get you. I mean, crazy house cat will flat tear you up. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but, and, and once again, public safety announcement: do not also also do not attempt to wrestle a wolf, wolf or, or a coyote. coyote. Generally, yeah, it's probably exactly. not. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you get you wrestle with a big canine, you know, like a German Shepherd or something as long as it's not trying to kill you. I mean, you, it's not that hard to throw a 120-pound dog around. There you go. You know, and get them pinned down and they can't really do much. You know, they push on you with their legs, but they can't scratch the shit out of you like a cat yeah. can. Yeesh. Cats are much different, so I don't like picking up other people's house cats. Definitely yeah. don't want to line. Yeah. Well, guys, so what do we uh what can we expect for uh this coming season? What, what's what exciting? Uh, well, we've got some uh, draw tags in for spring bear, so hopefully we'll get to do that. Um, we got some turkey hunts coming up, um, and we definitely have elk in the fall. So uh, my focus this year is again will be Roosevelt. Last year we uh, hunted Roosevelt and then went over east, hunted some Wyoming uh, Rockies. This year we'll just be focused on, again on Rosies. So, yeah. which is you know my forte. It's kind of what I do. So. You guys are so you guys are known for hunting rosies. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So we'll get back to that, hundred um, percent. Yeah, we talked about maybe looking at Wyoming antelope. Yeah. In August, you know, um, to try to just do something to bridge that gap yeah. between the end of the spring and the beginning of the fall. You know, so because God forbid we actually. I don't want a month of take nothing. a take right. a couple of weeks of a break. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and then November we hunt mule deer in Washington, yeah. and then nice. if we get an opportunity for blacktail, we'll do that. And then we we do have a decent late season elk hunt in Washington if you just need to do something else. Um, and then back to Arizona again in January. So we got a, uh, some stuff lined up for the year. But yeah, I was yeah. kind of I was debating Wyoming antelope this year, and I was I was definitely going to do it if I ended up getting a January muley. But uh, I mean August in Arizona that's everyone's favorite favorite place in time of year i'm sure uh no but you know it's i've got that over the counter tag still and they're they're out there in velvet so uh, i'll probably i'll probably end up over there but i really want to do wyoming antelope one of these days it is a blast it's a blast it's an all day it's an all day hunt you know because they don't they don't don't go anywhere 
So and they're out in the open. It's I mean, it's guaranteed action. You and may if you not can spot and stalk an anything. antelope, you are a stud. Yeah. Oh, I helped my buddy this last August when I was going out for that muley. My uh, my good buddy Mason, um, he had his archery antelope tag, and that was, I mean, he worked. Yeah. He put in the work, and I mean, we all we thought we got it. We thought we got it done. Just ended up not coming through. You know, last day, and then the last day I ended up getting my deer. But uh, it's a, I hats off to anyone that's able to spot and stalk archery antelope. That's yeah. Just, I, I did it a few years back, and um, I, I, several attempts, several failures. Finally, sat on a water hole and killed me an antelope. Mm-hmm. So killing one's not really my goal. It's spotting and stalking one and yeah. getting a shot is my goal. So hopefully we get an opportunity to do that. We, we will probably still utilize the water holes since that's the most effective way of doing yeah. it. But um, my goal is spot and stalk. Yeah. It don't have to be big. <laughs> Belly crawling on an antelope in, in the sagebrush is just so fun, man. It's so it cool, so man. Fun. That's such yeah. a cool thing. And they're a unique creature, right? They're they're just different, you know. They're, yeah. They kind of act like a bird, you know, the way they kind of run and they're really know, they're just very fidgety. They're really weird and fidgety. Yeah. One of the coolest things I saw when we were on that hunt was uh, we were watching this coyote. There's this whole herd of antelope, and they had uh, they had a couple of younger, like real young ones with them, and uh, and we were just kind of watching them, seeing where they were going to end up, if they were going to hang in the area, and. We, we're watching this coyote that's kind of up from them on the ridge, and he's, like, running back and forth. Like, you can tell he's kind of deciding if he wants to go in. And finally he goes for it, and two, uh, two of the satellite bucks just full-on go after him. Like, they are going to wreck this dude's day. And they end up chasing him way up over this ridge, like, out of, out of our sight, over the ridge, and then they come trotting back. Like, you can tell they're all, like, puffed up and, like, proud of themselves. They're, huh. like, showing off for the ladies, you know. Oh, wow. It was, it was just one Team of the work. coolest things. Yeah. yeah. It was just it, – it wasn't even the herd buck. The herd buck was like, eh, they got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to my it. women. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Another it's cool neat. animal. So neat to see that stuff, though. All right, as we are winding down, remind the fine folks where they can uh, hunt you gentlemen down on the interwebs. Yeah, so um, Instagram is really easy. It's just at Angry Spike Productions. Uh, Facebook is Angry Spike Productions as well. And then we do have a, a website, either angryspike.com or angryspikeproductions.com. We'll get you to all our social stuff there. Um, YouTube channel has more recent videos that we've been putting up um, of the hunts from the last few years on there. And that's just, again, at Angry Spike or angry spec productions um and then on our fa- on our website we still have all of our old dvds are available for vhx download on there as well so um we're not real hard to 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 get a hold of you know i mean we're we've got all the <laughs> social stuff covered but we're not super active into social either you know i mean our goal isn't necessarily to you know get a, a million followers it's to continue to do what we do in the hunting world as you know much i mean the social stuff could go away and we're still going to be elk hunters yeah, so absolutely. It's not. It doesn't define us by any means, and we're not fishing for likes or anything like that. We're just we do our thing and try to share what we can with the with the people who do appreciate and enjoy people, yeah. the stuff that we do. Like, yeah. You know, and people like yourself, and we enjoy following. We use social as more of a way to keep inter- keep connected with everybody and see what everybody else is doing, which is you know always fun to watch. You know, like your stories about trying to find that first elk, trying to get in on that first bull, shooting that first you know fuzzy headed spike buck you know <laughs> things like that so that's the benefit of the social but we're not real real active in it so absolutely 
All right, so if you guys remember from last time, I always like to end with maybe a little advice or inspiration. If somebody, you know, was watching one of your videos that came up to you here at the expo and said, I really, really want to get into hunting, but I, I just don't know if I can do it. I'm, I'm intimidated. There's so much to learn. I don't have the background in it or I don't have the resources. What advice or inspiration would you give that person? You are a part of nature whether you think you are or not humans man we are we belong out there and you spend time out there and you will adapt to the environment and you will find success over time yeah so don't and, be afraid to do it and at a show like this there's going to be thousands of people that come through here today that are seeking the exact same knowledge as you so don't be afraid to ask people questions you know there are people who have figured it out much you know whether it's because of failure over time or just because of time um uh, you know, more people than you think in this industry are willing to help other people out. You know, it's it's not an, a, a me, just a me industry. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Reach out to people. Come here. Pick brains. You know, try out gear. Do your own R and D. You know, but just don't don't think that because you've never done it before. I mean, you're you're a prime example. Don't think <laughs> that just because you live in the city doesn't mean that you can't get out and learn how to do this um, on your own. You know, it, it's it's possible. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on. It was a blast catching up. Absolutely. Talking a little hunting. Yeah. Talking Arizona with a couple of guys right. from the Pacific Northwest. Northwest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate yeah, it. Appreciate it, man. It's always awesome. fun. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 98 of Living Country in the City. Really great to have Shannon and Corey back on the podcast. Good to hear from them again. Make sure you all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 98 for links to everything we talked about in today's episode. But until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.